Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer and an entrepreneur. My mission, what I stand for is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher. One who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and effectively so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. This mission reflects the core ways of being that I work to develop in teachers. Confidence, clarity, purpose, impact, and connection. Through my mentorship program and my premier offer called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field and beyond, and a dose of personal development. For more information on my programs, please see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 71. Today, I'm going to share a little overview of the hip as we get down to some anatomy content. Now, over the next several episodes, or I should say in the past several episodes, I've covered a lot of just high level teaching and mindset themes, and I love doing that. Um, but today I thought it would be fun to do something completely focused on anatomy. I think it's also a really great way to kind of dive into some details, which can be a great distraction from everything that's happening uh, kind of in the world right now. So along those lines, I know, of course, we are all right now dealing with the impact of COVID-19 and the pandemic in our own way, in our own homes, our families, and our lives. And I certainly hope that you are doing okay and your family is as well. I know this is a really tough time in a lot of ways. And by the same token, it can give us a huge opportunity here to delve into our learning as teachers. And today's episode will give you a chance to do just that. So why did I pick the hip, you might be wondering? Well, it's a big part of all the movements we make in yoga. And it's also one where there are so many buzzwords and phrases used. So I like to call, I don't know what you call, but I like to call kind of buzzwords in yoga, yoga speak. And I'm sure when I say that, you know what I'm talking about. And many times teachers don't really have the underlying anatomy clear in their mind. And I've said it before, and I'll gently suggest again, if you're unsure of the anatomy, please don't refer to anatomy. There's absolutely no need. You'd be more helpful to your students if you'd give them some really good action words to help them understand what you want them to do. Then at the same time, go off and do some investing in your learning to fill in those learning gaps. And in fact, instead of signing up for a 500-hour training, hoping you'll get that specific anatomy-based learning you know you need, instead, 
think about investing in tools that are specifically targeted to this niche learning area. And I say niche, it's not even really niche. I mean, it's really one of the fundamental things you need to know as a teacher. It's just that global yoga trainings, like 200 hour and 500 hour trainings, while they touch on anatomy, they don't necessarily focus on it and especially help you learn how to translate it into cues you can use with your students. Now, of course, I'm not gonna miss an opportunity to tell you that I have a learning program called the Blueprint Learning Program that is specifically around how to learn anatomy, what to learn in anatomy, and how to translate it into cues. And if you wanna get on the waiting list for my next live launch, all you need to do is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the link to the waitlist for the Blueprint Learning Program is right on the homepage. So I want you to take a minute and reflect on your own cueing in classes. So this is cueing to the hip. So do you use phrases like, open your hip, stretch your hip, hey, this will help you with tight hips, release your hip, sit in your hip, or maybe you might say, don't sit in your hip, square your hips, or square your hips to the front of the room or square your hips to the back of your mat. Level your hips. So maybe one or two of those ring true to you, something you've said in your classes. Now, if you say some of those things, and I asked you for each one, can you tell me the anatomical counterpart for what you just said? In other words, you're using common, common language when we kind of use that yoga speak. Can you reverse engineer the phrase back to its anatomical core or foundation? And further, can you share why you're using that particular phrase right now? What about this pose and this action that you want your students to do? What makes this cue the right cue in your mind to use right now? So essentially what this boils down to is, this is how you know you're building your anatomy-based cues from the ground up, so to speak. You can work backwards to demonstrate you know the anatomical root for the cue, and you can share an intelligent reason why you're using it at that particular time with that pose. Now, does that mean that is the right reason and the only reason? No, I'm one of those teachers, and I don't know how many, <laughs> how many people actually bring this up, but the study of anatomy and the application of anatomy to people, different people with all sorts of different bodies and different kind of life stories hidden in their bodies is not a finite science. It has a lot of nuance to it. And so because of that, even though there are certain just facts about the body, the femur is the femur, the humerus is the humerus, you know, the gluteus maximus is the gluteus maximus, how that muscle reacts in different people is different. And when you're going into a room and you're teaching a group of people, everybody has some differences, some variations there. So I'm not suggesting that you come up with a rationale or you have a rationale that proves you're right. I'm simply suggesting that you have a good foundation of anatomy you're building on so that you can present a well thought out reason for why you're using the cue you're using at that point. Now, why does this even matter? 
Are there yoga police that are going to reprimand you if you use a cue incorrectly or say what you heard without knowing the why behind it? Of course not. Are there people in your class who will report you if you say the wrong thing? Do you mean to say something that you don't really know? The answer to all these things, of course, is no. And further, sometimes you don't actually know you're saying something you don't really know because that's what you were told to say. That's what you were told to say. That's why a great way to test yourself is to see if you can work backwards. For instance, when you use a cue, ask yourself, hmm, what does that mean in terms of the anatomy behind it? What's the joint I'm referring to? What's the joint action? What's the muscular action? If you're using words that refer to muscles like stretch or too tight, ask yourself, why do I think this action is stretching a muscle? And what muscle? Or why am I saying tight here to refer to a muscle? What muscle am I talking about? Do I know if it's tight for everyone? Is that the right word to describe what's happening? Why? So this is all how you come out of that trance of quote, what you were told and start really figuring out if you understand anatomy or if you're just saying the words without really knowing what's behind them. And that's what this episode is all about. Now, I also want to invite you to my live online workshop on the hip happening on Thursday, April 23rd at 5 p.m. Eastern. This is live, not recorded. It's a live, not recorded workshop that will give you images to look at of the involved muscles of the hip, a presentation I'm going to walk you through that will give you the anatomy knowledge you need to have about the hip, how-tos on how to apply it to the cues in your teaching, and best of all, because I limit this online workshop to 10 teachers, you're gonna have time for questions and we'll be able to chat back and forth as questions come up. You'll keep your chat functionality on Zoom open so that we can just have normal conversation just as if we were in the room together. So to sign up for this workshop and get one of these, there's only 10 slots, just DM me on Instagram, barebonesyoga, maybe send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com, or on my Facebook page, Bare Bones Yoga, you'll see the post from today, which is uh, um, April 13th. So let's get into some of these details. In order to make this easier to understand, first we're gonna look at the hip joint, and then we're gonna look at the movements it makes. And then we're gonna look at some basic properties of muscles, and then I'll share some of the muscles that move the hip in various ways how that applies to poses, and then cues you can use to pull it all together. I'm gonna to provide some examples uh, for some of the movements, and just a handful, because I don't want this to be super long. <laughs> and if you want more, as I'm sure you're going to, I'm gonna highly recommend you sign up for my online workshop I just told you about on the 23rd. And plus, there's only so much I can do with audio. So the online workshop's gonna give you a chance to see the images of the muscles, I'll share the PowerPoint with you afterwards. So it's a great opportunity for you to really invest in your learning, which again, is a great way for you to leverage this downtime to invest in your teaching so that when you know, we can get back into the studios, you're going to have kind of a leg up, your teaching will be kind of infused with new knowledge and you're gonna be able to make a bigger impact. 
So let's take a look at the hip itself. So we've got the hip uh, joint, which is a ball and socket. And the, the articulation or the connection between the bones, the bones that we're talking about are the head of the femur bone, which is the long bone in the leg. And that fits into the acetabulum of the pelvis, which is the cup. And the hip joint provides a lot of mobility and can move through all the major anatomical movements. So movements the hip make includes flexion, which for example, if you were in warrior one and you had your right foot forward, that hip would be in flexion. And the next movement is extension. So an upward dog, you're in bilateral extension. Uh, another anatomical movement is adduction. So an example of that is eagle pose where your hips are moving closer to the middle of your body. Another anatomical movement is abduction, ABD. So a pose like triangle pose where your feet are apart in kind of a straddle shape, your hips are uh, moving further away from the midline. So that's abduction. And then internal rotation. So a pose like downward dog, your inner thighs are rolling back. So your inner thighs are rolling back because at the joint, at the hip joint, that's internal rotation happening there. And then external rotation. So that's kind of like your yogi squat where your feet are turned out like a ballet dancer, uh, your hips are turned out and that's creating your turnout at the feet. So those are the anatomical actions. We have, just to review, we have flexion, extension, adduction, abduction, internal and external rotation. Now, in terms of concepts or words or phrases that refer to muscles, let's take a look at that. We've got certain kinds of contractions that happen in muscles, uh, with muscles or contractions that muscles can do. So we have the concentric contraction, which is the muscle doing its job. That's where the fibers are moving closer together. We have uh, eccentric contractions or eccentric lengthening. And that is a contraction that slows the rate of the concentric contraction. So that would be an example might be when you're moving from high to low push-up to prevent you from just kind of falling on your face, your triceps is eccentrically lengthening to control the rate of contraction of your biceps. Another type of contraction is isometric, which is where the force being applied is equal to the force being uh, displayed by the muscle. There's no movement. So if you were to just uh, stand up and lift your right uh, leg up into the air, maybe draw your right knee into your belly and just kind of hold there in space, that would be an example of a concentric of a isometric contraction. And then we've got passive lengthening, which isn't really described as a contraction per se, but is definitely a movement uh, or an action a muscle can take where there's passive lengthening versus what I talked about earlier, which is eccentric lengthening, where there's definitely a contraction happening there. Now, another thing I wanna just throw out there, and this is definitely one of, uh, one of the things that I think gets tossed around a lot when people teach, is this uh, idea of tight or um, just tight muscles. So a lot of times you'll hear people say in class, oh, this is a good thing to do if your muscles are tight. Or if you feel tightness in your such and such, this is a good muscle for that. Or if you feel tightness in your so-and-so, modify like this. I wanna just throw out there this idea um, that's been pretty well documented, which is that 
from a nervous system perspective and just our perception um, of feedback our body's giving us, and that can be at the level of um, uh, receptors in our muscles or, or fascia itself, the feedback we get, we sometimes can interpret as tightness when in actuality, what is happening at the level of the muscle fibers is they are weak. But to the student or to the person, they may, they may consider that or they may express that as, oh, this feels like a tight muscle. So it can be um, kind of reinforcing that perception when as teachers we start to throw around words, not throw around words, but we start to say things like, if you feel tightness, it's not to say that the feeling that the person is having, the feeling that the person is having is not valid. It's just that technically what you need to do to understand if the muscle is tight or weak is do some muscle testing to do some work one-on-one -on -one with that person to have them come into different postures and give you their one-on-one -on -one feedback in a one-on-one -on -one setting, like a private yoga uh, class, private yoga session. So you could have them do movements where they were concentrically contracting the particular muscle uh, or group of muscles in that area where they're feeling something and then lengthening in that area and see how they respond, what the feedback is, you know, have them do certain poses where they have to exhibit strength in the area of concern, where they have to exhibit length and see what kind of range of motion they have. That is when we're working with poses within the scope of our role, our professional role as a yoga teacher, when it gets beyond that, where we're, you know, kind of doing muscle testing, like you might see in a physical therapy setting or a chiropractic setting, that's really beyond the scope of, of our role. But if we have people go through different postures where because we understand the anatomy, we know that uh, the muscles in the area of concern are lengthening or contracting, we can get some feedback from the person and we can start to make some kind of decision at that point in time as to whether or not the muscle's weak uh, or too tight. So that's just something that I want you to consider, especially when you might feel inclined because other people have said it and you've heard them say it, to start to say things like, if you feel the muscle is tight, you know, rather than just sticking with what's happening, right? I mean, whether or not I feel like my psoas is tight, there are certain poses where the fact is that muscle is contracting. That is something that the yoga teacher can share. And then I can blend that kind of fact-based information with the sensations I have in my body and see if there's a match or if there's a mismatch or, you know, if I have concerns, I can talk to the teacher after class and say, hey, you said, you know, here the muscle is contracting, but it, to me, it feels really loose in this area. What might that be about? And this is, you know, part of the joy of teaching from anatomy is that you're sharing about the body and then people have an opportunity to hear this information and blend it in with their experience. And sometimes there is a disconnect. And that's, you know, if, if they do come up and talk to you after class, it can be a really cool experience for both of you. You can share what you know, you can get some feedback from them, you can ask more questions, you can find out more about what they're feeling in their body. And this can't happen in a group class. It has to happen in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And those one-on-one -on -one conversations can also be great opportunities for you to offer the person some one-on-one -on -one sessions. And that is really, you know, the best 
um, format to, you know, to really get into some more of the details with a student. And then that's just kind of, you know, the, the overall piece I want you to kind of consider. And then one more thing in this area, which is that, um, you know, the body, and this is going to sound kind of obvious, but I really want to be sure I mention this. The body works as a system. You know, even in this example I was just talking about when somebody might come up to you after a class and point to a part of their body and say, I feel uncomfortable here or it feels tight here. You have to kind of help them appreciate that there are a number of different muscles in that area and fascia and the impact of joints and their movement that could be part of why they're getting the feedback they're getting. Many times students, pretty much all the time, students will think of the body more uh, like just a bunch of parts. And so if they have a problem, they'll assume you can tell them the part of the body, most likely the muscle that's having a problem. And for most people, what they're going to say is, can you show me something to stretch this? Because kind of in our vernacular about fitness in, uh, in, our culture and a lot of what's out there on social media and a lot of what's out there in terms of teachers who aren't familiar with anatomy, but yet seem to be teaching from anatomy. What oftentimes gets put out is this message that if something is uncomfortable, you should stretch it. And so as a result, you'll probably get people coming up to you, pointing to a part of the body, asking what the muscle is and asking what they can do to stretch it. And this is again, another another really good justification for spending your time and money on anatomy information from a training perspective, because those kinds of conversations are a great opportunity to help somebody get a more broad understanding of their own body, how it works on a functional level as it relates to movement. You can talk to them a little bit about fascia. You could talk to them about foam rolling. You could talk to them about different poses they can do in both directions. So it really becomes more of an investigation that the student's doing based on some just global concepts you can share with them. I think also for teachers, it's really important that I mention this concept because like in this podcast episode where I'm gonna share with you a bunch of details, I don't want you to get lost in the details. I always want you to be able to kind of pull back to the bigger picture so that you can always keep the bigger picture in mind as well. So let's look at some specifics here. So first we're gonna look at hip flexion. So a pose that has hip flexion, bilateral hip flexion, meaning both hips are flexed, is boat pose. Another example is chair pose. Now, two main muscles of hip flexion are the psoas and the rectus femoris. The rectus femoris is part of the quadriceps muscle group, and the psoas runs from, generally speaking, your lower back to your femur. And upon concentric contraction, the femur is going to move closer to the belly, as you would see in these poses. So you're coming into boat pose, you're bringing your thigh bone closer to the belly, you're in uh, chair pose, you're bending at the knees, you're bringing your thigh bones closer to your belly as well. Now the rectus femoris runs from the pelvis to the knee. And while it contributes to knee extension like the rest of the quadriceps do, because it crosses the knee, it also contributes to hip flexion. And it does that because it originates on the uh, pelvis, unlike all the other quadriceps muscles, which 
don't start on the pelvis, they start on the thigh itself. Now, cues to the hip here really can be action-oriented because it's hard to, you know, as a student, as a person, <laughs> to connect to your psoas. It's really deep in your body. Um, I remember when we did um, cadaver lab dissection and we got to the psoas, it was days into our week-long lab. And we, you know, you had to go through all the abdominal muscles and abdominal contents before you ever got to the psoas. It's really, really, really deep. So most of the time, like when you're in boat pose and you cue people to draw the belly button into the spine, that's really more of a cue to the rectus abdominis, which is an abdominal muscle that runs from your pubic bone up to your sternum versus cueing them to the um, psoas, which is definitely contracting in both, but it's not like a person can really create a psoas contraction as much as they can feel the uh, rectus abdominis contraction. Um, I think something to watch for, especially psoas is one of those muscles that people sometimes tend to know. I mean, they're you know, there are just some muscles like biceps and pectoral muscles and lats, like things that are part of gym vernacular. Um, psoas tends to be one of those muscles too. So sometimes people will say, or maybe they read an article, oh, psoas muscles tend to be tight. So there can be a little bit of a misperception that, oh, if I have some tightness in my hip, it's definitely because I have a tight psoas. And if you go back to what I was saying earlier, sometimes the sensation does not always match what's happening at the level of the muscle fibers. So it's good to do, you know, for students like this to give them kind of a recipe if they do talk to you after class uh, of different poses where they're working both hip flexion and hip extension and seeing what their sensation feels like at that point. Um, and that's a good way if they're doing both lengthening and strengthening you can have them follow up with you the next time they're in class um, to give you their feedback and then go from there with maybe some other recipes that they can try. So that's hip flexion. So let's look at hip extension. So some good examples of hip extension are things like upward dog, so that's bilateral hip extension, airplane, so that's uh, one uh, hip is in extension, the leg that's behind you, Warrior one um, is another one. The leg in the back is your extended hip. Um, let's see, uh, uh, bridge pose for uh, bilateral hip extension. Now, there are two main muscles of hip extension. Do you know what they are? Two main muscles, right? So if you think about hip extension, think of wheel pose you're definitely gonna be using muscles in the back of your body, not in the front to create that concentric contraction. So if you guess gluteus maximus and hamstrings, you are correct. So the gluteus maximus and the hamstrings are, um, are both muscles of hip extension. Now, the interesting thing is often that the gluteus maximus is weak because people are of course sitting a lot during the day and when you're sitting, your hips are in flexion. So your gluteus maximus is passively lengthening when you are um, sitting. And the hamstrings then, <laughs> because uh, you're sitting a lot, your hamstrings tend to become overly strong, what we call in exercise science, synergistically dominant. 
the hamstrings and the gluteus maximus both do hip extensions, so they're synergists. They do the same thing. They work collaboratively to extend your hip. When you talk about synergistic dominance, one overtakes the other that does the same thing. So when you look um, at exercise science data, uh, more in the area of personal training, I have my certification in personal training, so I have access to some of that information. It's also obviously uh, readily available if you, if you Google different exercise uh, publications, like from NASM or ACE, you'll find articles that provide more data um, around movement, which is different than in the yoga world where, you know, anatomy is kind of, we kind of stick to things at the functional level, which is great because that's definitely our area of expertise. However, if you do have an interest in going down to the level of detail around things like studies and muscle imaging and different things around, um, the way muscles uh, muscular imbalances can happen. You have to go kind of outside the yoga world to the exercise science world and look at different studies and, and PubMed publications. And, and like I got my certification from National Academy of Sports Medicine, they have a lot of uh, research guides and manuals and things that go into this kind of, of information, really beyond what we look at in yoga. So when you have this synergistic dominance of the hamstrings, what can tend to happen is that also will tend to create more weakness in the gluteus maximus because the hamstrings are kind of always taking over the role of hip extension. So they leave the glute max with kind of less to do. So this obviously can result in a weak glute max over the hamstrings. And this might actually you know, be a reason why, let's say you were having people come into bridge, you might say to them, hey, can you squeeze a little bit around your sitting bones? So in that case, you're asking them to create a little bit more active contraction of the gluteus maximus. And then if you also let them know, I want you to do this because I want you to strengthen your glute max a little bit. If you've been sitting a lot all day, your hamstrings will tend to be overly strong. So let's give the glute max a little bit of an extra effort something a little bit extra to do. So here in that way, you're kind of giving them the full picture. So you're not just saying squeeze your glutes without telling them the why, which is not only important for you to know the why, but why don't you share that with them too so that they can be in on the learning opportunity as well. <clears throat> so when we look at the gluteus maximus, it's a really broad muscle. I mean, you know, just when you sit in a chair, you're sitting on your gluteus maximus. It's that whole back part of your hip. It's a broad muscle. It starts on several parts of your pelvis and sacrum and inserts on your femur and <clears throat> part of your iliotibial tract, which becomes your IT band. <clears throat> now, its main function is hip extension, but I want you to remember it also externally rotates your hip, which is why it's helpful to ask people to squeeze a block between their thighs in poses like bridge and wheel when they might unknowingly externally rotate their hip which can sometimes create a sensation of pressure on the SI joint or just might not feel so comfortable. Now, cues to contract the gluteus maximus, for whatever reason, tend to be hot topics of conversation between teachers, as sometimes teachers say, cue to the glute max, and others say, don't cue to the glute max, that's going to you know, place more pressure on the lower back. So as with all things, there are a number of factors to consider, and I'm gonna just give you a few of them here. 
So when you're asking people to do poses with hip extension in them, guess what? <laughs> the muscle is concentrically contracting. It has to, otherwise the person couldn't do the pose. I mean, that's why some of these warnings are pretty silly, unless you explain the context to either do the action or don't. So exa for example, as I mentioned before, asking people to give a little extra effort around contracting their glute max and adding that it can strengthen the muscle since they've been passively stretching it all day as they sit on it, gives them that complete <clears throat> package I was talking about before and teaches them something about their hips, something they can take away <clears throat> with them um, you know, after the class. By the same token, let's say you have people in crescent lunge <clears throat> and you have them alternate between lowering the back knee a little bit and then straightening it, but moving more from the glute max is another good way to strengthen the back body, this posterior chain, glutes, hamstrings, down to the gastroc. <clears throat> so the idea that, you know, what I want you to kind of take away from this is <clears throat> when you're doing the action, let's say in this case, hip extension, you're doing the action of hip extension. Therefore, because you're doing the action, the glute max is contracting. So to say to someone in that case, don't contract too much, there's only so much they have control over because they're doing the thing. So if you want them to emphasize the thing, then sure, go ahead and have them squeeze a little bit more um, and then you can give them the rationale for that. And that's just kind of, again, this idea of, you know, kind of giving them the complete package. So the last one we're gonna look at is adduction. Eagle pose is a great example of bilateral hip adduction. And that's the action of bringing the hips closer to the midline of the body. And the muscles that contribute to adduction lie where you'd think, on the inner line of the thigh. And they include muscles like the adductor magnus, the adductor minimus, brevis, longus, and the pectineus. And these muscles generally start on the pelvis and insert on the thigh. And they create that hugging into the midline action we see in Eagle, for instance. Now, really good action cues to focus your students on to concentrically contract these muscles include things like squeeze to the center line or hug to the midline. And contracting these muscles can be a good way to lengthen muscles that open the hips, right, to do the opposite. Um, but they can also be a good way, obviously, to strengthen these muscles. This also um, relates to, if you might say to people, squeeze a block between the thighs in poses like chair, maybe take their feet to hip width, squeeze a block between the thighs. Good way to strengthen the adductors. And, um, you know, we do a lot of things, not a lot of things, but we do a good amount of things where the hips are in abduction, you know, straddle type shapes. So it can be nice to counteract that with some, some work, some concentric work for those inner line of the thigh muscles. So I'm going to end here, but I want to end with a little quiz. Quizzes can be fun to do. Um, so let me see if you can remember some of these concepts. So the first question is, name the hip action that's in boat pose. Name the hip action that's in boat pose. So I'll give you a minute. So there you are in boat pose, thighs are coming closer to the belly. What is the anatomical action of the hip? So if you said hip flexion, you're correct. The next uh, question is, name the muscle that has two functions, one of knee extension as well as hip flexion, right? So it's a polyarticular joint. It crosses two joints, hip and the knee. If you said rectus femoris, part of the quadriceps, you are correct. 
The next uh, question is name the muscle that tends to get synergistically dominant because people sit a lot. Name the muscle that gets synergistically dominant because people sit a lot. That would be the hamstrings. The next question is name the articulation of the hip. What are the bones of the hip? Give me the specific terminology. So if you said the head of the femur into the acetabulum of the pelvis, you'd be correct. All right, next question. Name the kinds of muscle contractions. Name the kinds of muscle contractions. Maybe pause the audio and think about it. So the correct answers are concentric, eccentric, isometric, and then passive lengthening. All right, and then the last three are true or, for, true or false. In triangle, the hips are in abduction. In triangle, the hips are in abduction. That is true. In wheel, the hips are in extension. In wheel, the hips are in extension. That is true. In cow face pose, the hips are in internal rotation. In cow face pose, the hips are in internal rotation. That is false. That is false. And I bet you're thinking, how can that be? I'm hugging my legs in. I'm also turning them in. Well, keep in mind, these anatomical actions exist in a range. So while there might be a little bit of internal rotation, there's more of an emphasis on rolling the inner thighs out, even though you're squeezing them towards the midline. So it's really more uh, adduction and a little bit of external rotation. And if you wanna test it out, just wrap your legs in your cow face pose and roll your inner thigh, uh, roll your hips in. And you're pretty much gonna start to realize that it's the opposite you want people to do. So we have reached the end of the podcast today. I wanna to thank you so much for listening. If you're not in my anatomy work group, definitely hop into that. I have almost a thousand teachers in there from all over the world. We do some nice back and forth about questions people have. I post quick anatomy lessons in there. Just go on Facebook and search for the Bare Bones Yoga Anatomy Work Group. And don't forget to DM me or email me um, to get one of those 10 seats in my live workshop on the 23rd so you can learn even more about hip anatomy and how to apply it to your teaching. And the last thing is, don't forget, if you're really, really looking for a niche training on anatomy and how to apply it to your teaching, I definitely would highly recommend you get on my wait list uh, for my Blueprint Learning Program. This is my signature program all about helping teachers with this specific aspect of teaching, learning anatomy, applying it to your teaching. So stay safe, stay healthy, do all the things and then some. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian. And I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.